0: And welcome to week seven of our winter series, Renovation of the Heart. Today is about how to speak into people, not at them. We all know how to speak at people. How do we speak to one another in a way that produces transformation? And we've learned that we need to learn first to listen, to listen to God to listen to the voice in your head and to analyze it and be aware of your own brokenness and your own filters. And if you haven't learned to really listen with the goal of not winning, but understanding the person that you wanna speak into, please do not bother even trying what we're gonna talk about today. Because you will be like the blind leading the blind. Jesus describes us that way in Luke chapter six, and that's where we're going to begin today. Luke chapter 6, on our way to giving you six ways that we can speak redemptively into people's lives. I'm going to start with Jesus' words beginning at verse 37. Do not judge, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Forgive And you will be forgiven, give and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over, will be poured into your lap, for with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. He also told them this parable, can the blind lead the blind? Will they not both fall into a pit? The student is not above the teacher, but everyone who is fully trained will be like their teacher." Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when you yourself fail to see the plank in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye." That last verse in this passage was one of our first verses in this series, that what we say, even when we want to say, well, that wasn't me, I'm not really like that. No, if it comes out of your mouth, you're like that. It's you. You say, I wasn't myself. Yes, you were. You were the part of yourself that you don't want to admit is there, but out of our mouth comes things that reveal everything about our heart. Now, normally, when we look at this idea of fruit-bearing, when we pull it out of the context, we think of it as, well, your life ought to show that you know Jesus. It's about the fruit of the Spirit, but in the context, it's about redemptive conversation. First of all, it's not about judging. In fact, if you think it's about passing judgment on each other, you're creating a context in which you will be judged. And then he says, We don't pull the speck out of someone else's eye with a log in our own eye. He says, that's like the blind leading the blind. You may have heard this illustration. It's an Indian story of six blind men who came across an elephant. How many of you know this story? The first one comes along and comes to the side of the elephant and says, well, an elephant is like a wall. And the second one comes at it from the front and the first thing he touches is the tusk and follows it all the way to the point and says, I don't know what you're getting at, but this elephant is like a spear. And the next one comes, and the first thing he touches is the trunk and says, it's more like a snake. And the next one reaches, and the first thing he touches is the ear. And he says, I don't know what you guys are talking about, but this is an awful lot like a fan. The fifth one comes and grabs the leg and says, you guys are all crazy. An elephant's more like a tree. And the last one lays a hold of the tail and says, you've all got it wrong. An elephant's more like a rope. Now they all had a partial truth, but every single one of them was in the wrong. Jesus is saying that we can be like the blind leading the blind when we presume we have the whole picture of each other, and presume to judge the intent of the heart. And then he says, besides that, you've got issues that from God's perspective are more important than the issue you're trying to correct in someone else. So the whole idea of the log versus the speck, Jesus is trying to help us all understand the issues that we're dealing with that blind us and that color how we respond and look at people ought to be more important to us than what we're trying to fix in others. So even as I look at you, and God says, compared to your issues, Ethan's is just a speck. Yours is a lock. The same as in reverse. Ethan looks at my issues, hypothetically, if I had any. (laughs) And God says the Ethan, Tom's issues for you are nothing compared to your issues. None of us ever have the full perspective of any situation when we're trying to speak into it. And it presumes that we are dealing with our own blindness in order to see more clearly. We often misquote this passage by saying, How dare you try to remove the speck in your brother's eye when you have such a beam, a log in your own eye, as though we shouldn't speak into each other's lives. But of course, that's not what Jesus says. Jesus says, First remove. The beam in your own eye. Do business with your own heart, your own perspective, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother or sister's heart. Jesus assumes that we ought to and indeed will speak into each other's lives. What he's challenging is the attitude that we bring of judgmentalism and the assumption that we don't have any issues that are getting in the way of us seeing what's true in you, when in fact our issues make us blind to the real truth. So that with that in mind, as we talk about how to speak into people, not just at them, I want to go through six ways that we ought to do this. And the first is that we learn to speak reluctantly. I need to speak reluctantly. Remember in James 1.19 that Threefold principle of communication. He says, be quick to listen and slow or reluctant to speak. Look at David's prayer in Psalm 141. Put a guard at my mouth, God. Set a watch at the door of my lips. We most often speak too soon. We need to be reluctant in speaking. There's another important passage in Proverbs 19 verse 11 that says, a person's wisdom yields patience, but it is one's glory to overlook an offense. It is a person's glory to overlook a transgression. And I want to encourage you with a first things first principle when it comes to speaking to people. And that's this. Is this something I can and should overlook? Is this something I can and should overlook? The simple truth is most of what bugs us about each other doesn't bug God about each other. It just bugs us. Most of what we're dealing with is just personality differences and giftedness that, frankly, we should come to appreciate in one another rather than try to fix in one another. Is it worth it from an eternal perspective? Is this really something that God wants to fix in this person or is it just that this drives me crazy about this person and God wants to deal with me (laughs) instead? Vit and I uh, appear to be quite similar in our personality because on the Myers-Briggs profile, our external qualities are very similar. Myers-Briggs is a personality profile based on four letters and the first and the fourth letter are generally how people experience you, and the second and third letter are generally what happens inside you. And Vitt and I have the same first and last letter, E and P, I am an ENTP, which is the very best to have, by the way. It's the primo profile. I'm an ENTP, which is an entrepreneurial visionary. E means extrovert, we're verbal processors, and P, How do you describe P? P is like a a person that that, um, gets a lot done but has to go back and clean up after themselves. When I try to remember what this means, I go, P stands for piles, because that's how I operate. I, I have all these neat little piles. And Vitt and I are both E and P. So, you know, you think externally, we ought to get along great, but we're exactly the opposite internally. I'm an intuitive thinker. VIT is S, which is sensing, and F, which is feeling. So we process things the exact opposite internally. I didn't know that. When I married VIT, I thought, man, we are like two peas in a pod. And then as new experiences came, I thought, where is she getting this from? (laughs) I walk into the room, and I go, oh, this looks great. And VIT goes, did you notice that thread that's just right there on that on that piece of carpet. When we got married and I realized that Vitt didn't see or think about things the way I did, I thought it was a problem, and I tried to fix her. What's wrong with you that you're into all these details? Get out of my details. Or when she responded in a way that I thought was overly emotional, I'd say, well, please, let's think logically. Let's think about this, How, how arrogant. Now that I think back on it. And it took a long time for me to recognize that we are created by God uniquely, and those are actually not our weaknesses. Those are our superpowers. <laughs> my superpower is to be intuitive and to logically chart a path forward. That's my superpower, and God uses that. He's gifted me for that. Vitz superpower is that she is focused on the details. And some of you have been blessed by how she's able to pick up things in your life that I don't actually care about. (laughs) (laughs) Nothing personal. If you point it out to me, I'll go, oh, oh, oh. I do care, but it's not my superpower to pay attention to that. I need it around, as it turns out. I need her, if I had stifled that, if I had broken that out of her, oh man, would I be in trouble? We're, we're serving together out of our superpowers. Do you understand what I'm saying? Vit enters into somebody's feelings a lot quicker than I do. Now some of you would say, well pastor, that's a weakness in you. I can't be everything. I can only be what God wired me to be, right? And the fact that I don't pick up on emotional cues as quick as other people doesn't mean I don't care. We have to be careful not to confuse those things. I have learned to bless my wife for all that she is. I've learned to bless her for how God uses that. Now, our superpower is also our kryptonite. Because our superpower can become our liability when we don't grow. It can become something that Satan can use when we have our own blind spots and we're not wielding our superpower in submission to the Holy Spirit. That's why the need to get the log out of our eyes to become real. Does that all make sense to you? The first step in deciding if I should speak into somebody's life is to decide, is this one of those categories that I should just bless and and overlook. It is not really about this person's spiritual maturity or about sin. It's just my own pet peeve or whatever. You should also ask in this area of speaking reluctantly, what assumptions have I made that are keeping me from responding fairly and effectively? If I have truly heard somebody, then before I speak, that ought to impact the assumptions that I brought in to this conversation. We enter into every conversation with a set of presuppositions and assumptions. And then as soon as somebody begins to speak, because we think so much faster than them, our assumptions write a whole narrative that becomes how we perceive what's being said. And most of it is baloney. And we equate it to truth. Before I open my mouth, how much of this is just my own story in my head? How much of this really speaks to what I can verifiably speak to here. So speak reluctantly. Put a guard on my mouth, God. Set a watch at the door of my lips. Second, speak thoughtfully. Say this verse with me from Proverbs 15. The heart of the righteous weighs its answer. The mouth of the wicked gushes. Man, that's good. The heart of the righteous weighs its answer. The mouth of the wicked gushes. How many of you have experienced people gushing in a conversation? Wherever they're at emotionally, they're just all over, just gushing. How many of you have, have gushed? I'm not getting a lot of hands up here. Is it because it's conviction? or you... Like playing it safe, listening to that voice in your head, don't admit any of this. You're smart, you're nice, and people like you. (laughs) Speak thoughtfully. Proverbs 21.20 says, There is more hope for a fool than for someone who speaks without thinking. Fools keep their mouth shut, and nobody knows they're a fool keep your mouth shut, people will go, that person has something going on. (laughs) The soft-spoken, quiet type. A lot of wisdom in that person. (laughs) More hope for a fool than for someone who speaks without thinking. Let me offer some questions that I should ask. And the first is, what is actually happening and what am I creating in my mind? It's an overlap from the last point, but that's a really important question. What is actually happening here, and what am, what am I creating in my mind? We hear somebody speak, and we have interpreted all sorts of things, made a lot of judgments about where that's coming from in their heart, and we're doing analysis, and all that's really happened is that they've offered their opinion about something. So all that other stuff is stuff that you've created in your mind that may or may not be accurate because of your own issues, because of your own narrative and your own story. So part of speaking thoughtfully is what is verifiable that I need to respond to here versus all the assumptions I've leapt to? Second, what is the source of my emotions? I need to remember that my emotions are not just about what's happening here, but they're coming from all those unmet needs and the history and the stories of my life. I need to step back and like we learned from James 1.19, I need to not lead with my emotions. I need to check up on my emotions and make sure that what I'm reacting to is actually what's happening right here and right now. Is there some truth in what is being said to me that I should acknowledge? If you've really heard and listened, if you've applied the principles we have talked about last week to really listening, then it ought to change what you were thinking before you listened. There ought to be some way what somebody says clarifies some mistaken assumptions you've made in your rush to judgment, and you ought to pause before you respond and say, how does this change what I was thinking? What have I learned by what this person has shared to me that I ought to back up on that rush to judgment and opinion that I had? Speak thoughtfully. Third, speak humbly. Ephesians 4, say this with me. Forgive each other just as in Christ God forgave you. To speak humbly is to recognize that I need God's grace just like everybody else. I'm a sinner saved by grace. My futile thinking patterns trap me just like they trap everybody else. It's to speak out of an acknowledgement that you don't deserve to be listened to, you don't have a right to be listened to, and you don't have the ultimate corner on truth. Humility keeps us from thinking that we are speaking empirical truth and lets us approach them more as one exploring what is true with them rather than having predetermined what's true. Speak humbly. Here are some statements that I think are helpful to us in this. First of all, I am a spiritual work in progress too. I'm probably not seeing this as clearly as I think I am. And this isn't about being right or wrong, but about coming to understanding. Speak humbly. Let's say there's someone that has hurt you, someone in the church, even a, a leader, a family member, or someone at work, and you say, I've, I've just got to talk to them. And chances are you've thought through this conversation in your head and you see yourself approaching this person with the hope that they will accept your perspective of what what happened. But then when they have their own point of view, or when they tell you that's not what I intended or you're judging my heart, when they present their side of it, your pride is what rears up and you say, well, you're disrespecting me or you're not, you're not hearing what is true. Something's really wrong in you. You're unteachable. Because you had already decided what was true before you even had the conversation. There was no exploring. You see, that's pride leading you into trouble. That's the blind leading the blind. Humility recognizes that There's probably a truth yet to be discovered, and I need to go about this conversation so that we together can find understanding. This isn't about me being right or wrong. There's what you think, there's what I think, and then there's what God thinks, and that's what we should be humbly going after. Are you with me? Fourth, speak truthfully. This is the recurring theme of our series, Ephesians 4.15, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow into Christ. I think it would be really helpful at this point to talk about what this verse is really getting at. What truth, what are we talking about? The phrase, speak truth in love, is actually a single Greek word. And it literally means truthing. Speaking reality into a person's life. To say truth, to do truth, to maintain truth. Let me start by telling you what this is not. This is not you speaking the very truth of God into someone's life as though what you think is what God thinks. It's not that. This is not about empirical truth. Authoritative truth. It's not about that. This is about living in reality with one another, embracing what is real in each other. This word is a communal experience. See, that's one of the problems. When we consider what this picture of speaking truth and love, we picture ourselves sitting a person down. There you are, Delight. I've thought about this a long time. You better sit down, because i got a few things to say to you. But it's just truth and love, sister. Anybody says that, beware. Probably not. Probably not going to be truth, and it's certainly not going to be in love. I only have the best of intentions. And then we speak at them. Speaking the truth in love is always perceived as a confrontation. But this word actually describes a journey into reality. Reality. So I try to encourage people when they're going to have a conversation with someone is to picture themselves coming alongside them and walking together toward reality, recognizing that I may have a general direction in mind, but only God knows what's real. And I'm going to approach you in such a way that we're going to explore what's going on and come to truth. Does that make sense to you? So that's what it means to speak truth. Love. It's truthing. It's a journey of doing reality. Speaking reality. Being in reality with one another. That, that should change dramatically your thoughts of what it means. And, and it ought to actually elevate all of you to think, well, well I could do that. To do reality. Think about that. And so speaking truthfully involves these thoughts. You are not sharing absolute truth. You're only sharing your experiences or thoughts. If I'm speaking humbly and thoughtfully, what I'm sharing with them is what I'm experiencing as I'm listening to them. Don't think about you're approaching somebody from the lens of criticizing them. Think of it as giving them feedback. Think about that. Because I don't really understand all that's going on or why it's going on. All I'm doing is reacting to what you have said through my own filters and making assumptions. And even with the best of intentions, there's only so much I can really get clear on at this moment. I want to give you feedback. I'd like to express to you how this is playing in me without judgment of what your intentions were. I am learning and have made great progress in hearing somebody, even when there's anger and frustration in them, hearing that there's feedback in there even if not everything they're saying or thinking is fair or even loving. There's something in there that is the result of how I'm showing up in this situation. Thinking about speaking the truth and love as providing feedback to one another is a less critical, less destructive, less condemning approach to truth speaking. How would that revolutionize how you spoke with each other if you just simply said, let me just offer what I'm thinking about this or, or, or some questions that I have based on what you've said? And you just put that out there. You can get as much truth out, probably more reality out through that approach, and you can get more acknowledgement of that than you'll ever get by confrontation and condemnation. And then never judge a person's heart or intentions. You are not God. You don't actually ever know what's going on in a person's head. Even the person you've been living with for the last uh, 37 years, you think from all that experience you know exactly what they're thinking, but you don't. You aren't God. When you judge and pronounce what you know is going on in somebody's head, you are not speaking truth. All you can do is lead a person to look at what's going on in their heart and let the Holy Spirit, let God reveal that to them. But that's not you. Men, you are not God. You are not God to your wife. Well, wait a minute, wait a minute. The husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church. Okay, headship is about life-giving and blessing. So you may have gotten that title from Jesus, but you did not get Lord and Master from Jesus. You didn't inherit that title in your marriage. And in fact, what you inherited is the Savior side of Jesus. Because to be the head of the, of the wife is to give yourself up for her As Christ gave himself up for his church. Men, you are not God in your marriages. Stop acting like you are. Stop acting like you know exactly what's going on. Start getting the fact that you have blind spots and your wife has superpowers that you need. That was free. Now with your heads bowed and your eyes closed. <laughs> Where am I? Speak truthfully. Fifth, speak generously. Speak generously. We're going to turn to 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3. I'm going to quickly read from verse 8 to verse 12. Finally, all of you be like-minded, be sympathetic... Love one another, be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing, because to this you were called, so that you may inherit a blessing. For whoever would love life and see many good days must keep their tongues from evil and their lips from deceitful speech. Again, this is one of those passages where the choice of words in Scripture seems so strong that we feel like nothing we do elevates to that bar. But we need to understand that when we are not speaking humbly, when we are not trying to speak in a way that blesses, when we are not trying to be like-minded and sympathetic and loving to one another, the result of our words is evil. Remember what we heard? Our words give life. Our words bring death. They are either blessings or curses. You choose. No neutrality. And so you are either speaking in a way that is deceptive. You're letting your own reality win. So you're actually being untruthful. And the result is you're bringing evil. That's strong, but... Peter is speaking to brothers and sisters in Christ. They must turn from evil and do good. They must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are attentive to their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. So speak generously. Do not trade insult for insult. Instead, respond with a blessing no matter how testy the conversation gets no matter how angry and venting and sarcastic and insulting the other person is because they are no way near as self-enlightened as you are no matter how angry and mean-spirited the other person you get to choose how you respond and Peter says always respond with a blessing now we all have ways that we can say really mean things and turn them into blessings you know like this, just truth and love. Truth and love. That's sort of the, the Christian version of the Southern. Bless your heart. <laughs> Southern people can say anything no matter how mean it is, as long as they end with bless your heart. <laughs> Isn't that the ugliest baby I've ever seen? Bless his heart. <laughs> no, that's not a blessing. A blessing is something that really it's a gift of encouragement, it's a gift of joy. Elevates them and moves them closer to God. So in relation to speaking generously, here's a couple questions we should ask. Is what I'm about to say offered as a gift and out of love? Or is it coming from someplace else in me? What is it I'm trying to achieve with the words I'm about to speak? Am I gonna satisfy some need to vent or be sarcastic? Am I going to throw a verbal bomb and then say, bless your heart, only had the best in mind? Or is what I'm about to say actually have in mind that it's a gift spoken out of love? Second, will I cause healing or damage with these words? What is it I'm trying to achieve here? Speak generously. Finally, speak redemptively. Peter has this very interesting statement in the epistle we were just in when he says, if anyone speaks, in fact, let's say this together. If anyone speaks, do it as one speaking the very words of God. Now, to be fair to Scripture, this is addressing people who have the gift of teaching or the gift of speaking. He's talking about spiritual gifts here. And he's saying for those of us that have that gift, practice it Understanding the weight of your words as though God were speaking. In other words, not you. I don't want to speak out of myself. But that principle carries. I think it carries into our speaking into each other's lives. If I'm going to speak, I'd better make sure that my words can be spoken in the presence of God. Reflect what God says is truth or how God wants me to treat people. I need to speak in a way that God is always being communicated in some way through me. And that brings up these ideas. First of all, your words must guide a person to listen to the Holy Spirit in their hearts. Your job is not to convince them of your truth. Your job is to help them explore what God's truth is for them. What is it here? That God really wants to do, not what I'm hoping will be achieved. Seek transformation in each other as opposed to seeking relief for yourself. Many of us think, well it's time to talk to this person because we're just we're so frustrated, and when we speak, we're trying to deal with that frustration so it goes away. We're not actually seeking what's best for that person, we're actually seeking to make our life better. If that's your goal, you may achieve that, but actually shut down what God wants to do in someone's life. You get your will, but not God's will. Then finally, all truth speaking includes the gospel and always offers God's grace. There is never authentic speaking truth and love to someone that doesn't end with God's love, the abounding grace that's available because of the cross. So in other words, our job isn't to leave people filleted and laying open on the table spiritually. Our job is to affirm God's love for them and to affirm God's grace and to minister that grace to one another. If you can't do that, then I'd rather you just sat there kept your mouth shut, and let people think you're a gracious and good person, that would be better than opening your mouth without ministering grace. One more verse. Say this with me. Speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, making music in your heart to the Lord. Speak to one another. Truth with one another. Be in reality with one another. And when we do that, it's music to God's ears. Father, may we be that kind of a community. We're not just the beautiful music that's shared from this stage that we sing and offer to you in worship, but our conversation is a beautiful and lovely thing that comes up to you as a sweet aroma because we are ministering your grace your love to one another and out of that we are all being changed and transformed into him who is the head christ may that be true of us father in jesus name amen